Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithloday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thorns Matt Court. How you doing? I'm all right. Yourself? Not bad. Uh, all right, let's start out uh, talking about the men's basketball team. Uh, a bit of a rough patch. Um, uh, they're uh, now three and four to start at the beginning of the season. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they, they beat Florida A&M, they beat Montana State. They lost to UC Irvine, uh, which was sort of bizarre. Um and, uh, and, and then they lost to three tournament teams, uh, Houston, Connecticut and Michigan state. Um, although the curie and then, but then they came back and beat Villanova. I'm not really sure how good Villanova is this year, although they did in somewhat recent past win national championship. Um, right. and you know, they kept it pretty close, uh, against, uh, number 12, Michigan state, you know, they only dropped that one by four and I thought they looked a lot better. Um, what have you thought about this team? You know, like a lot of teams, a lot of fans, I think sort of like, or like, oh my God, Dana Altman's lost his touch after they kind of got destroyed by UConn. Um, are you in the same boat? Are you worried about Dana Altman's teams or does this feel like same old, you know, slow starts, figuring stuff out? Um, what do you think? I would, I would say that it's, uh, two things. It's the sort of seasonal slow start that uh, Dana Altman teams have been having over the years, or it takes a while for, for whatever reason. And, and the interesting thing about Altman, of course, is this year, he's got some quite a few players back that were here last year. So it's kind of hard to understand why the start is as slow as it's been. But the other thing that's impacting the men's basketball team, frankly, is the same thing that was impacting the women's soccer team, and that's injuries. They've been, uh, again, uh, decimated by the number of injuries. In fact, in, in this last game against Villanova in the PK Invitational, they were down to six scholarship players and seven walk-ons on the bench. Uh, it, it's incredible to me the number and relative severity of, of the injuries that Oregon sports teams are are. Uh, taking on this year. And I mean, in football, you expect it, you see it a lot there. It's a, a collision sport. As somebody has said once, um, not a contact sport. These other sports are different. Soccer is not really a contact sport per se. It's possible to have serious contact, but that's not really part of the game. And, you know, basketball is kind of the same way, although there's a lot more speed and weight of the players involved. So you can understand why you might have more injuries happening in that instance. But uh, Oregon has, has again, uh, been bitten by the injury bug on the men's basketball side. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, that the outcome of the Villanova game was kind of encouraging from my point of view. One of the players that stepped up over the last two games, in fact, the Michigan State game and the Villanova game, was Will Richardson. And he's a guy that I think Duck fans have been a little disappointed in uh, over the last, certainly last season, especially late last season and early this season, where he, he was sort of expected to be more of a leader of the team. And he's really struggled with his shooting. He struggled with the, some of the leadership qualities that he needs to display. But in these last couple of games, 
again, again against Michigan State and Villanova, he really stepped up and he went for 28 and I think 19 against Villanova. So, uh, and, and of course, they you mean they 28 did, against Michigan State and 19 yeah, against Yeah, tw- right. 28 against Michigan State and 19 <clears throat> against Villanova. And, you know, and especially late in the games, he really asserted himself in uh, in both of those games and helped help the Ducks beat Villanova and help make it, you know, close, very close against Michigan State. They only lost by four in that game, and they they could have had a chance to win it uh, at the at the end, but they just couldn't get quite enough uh, balls in the basket to make it happen. Uh, yeah, it was sort of a, a a thrilling finish to that game, and and you know after they sort of looked left for dead against UConn, um, you know the the thing that's remarkable to me is uh, Game Rochelle. Um, you know, the walk-on who's now played, I think, mm-hmm. you know, cl- close to, you know, an hour of floor time over the yeah. last three games or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really down to, to, you know, they're really down to walk-ons. It, it's, uh, you know, n- not that he's scoring a ton of points or anything, um, but getting defensive rebounds, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that that's just sort of what they're down to. Um, yeah, no, he, he started the game and played a ton of minutes, probably more minutes than he might have expected to play in the entire season. Certainly more meaningful minutes than he might have expected to play for the entire season. And he didn't didn't shoot well, but he got six rebounds in the game. So he was, you know, involved in, and contributing something to the victory. Sure. And then what have you thought about Locke Wurr? He, you know that kid's got um, some potential. I, he was very active, and and he's another guy that late in the game he ended up going to the free throw line. I think two different times later in the game against Villanova and knocking down free throws, which mm-hmm. is of course we've talked about it before. You got to make your free throws, and it was great to see him step up there and do it. Uh, you know, Oregon is at the, at this point with both uh, and Folly Dante and Nate Biddle out. Uh, Oregon's down to one big, really. And mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about, I think the last time I was on the podcast, was, you know, Oregon's sort of experimentation with a kind of a Twin Towers look with Biddle and Dante on the floor at the same time. Well, that's done for a little while anyway. And uh, and so we're now down to this one guy that's a seven-footer and, and a big. Uh, and then the next the next tallest guy is like six eight. And a forward. So it's going to be interesting to see Altman again adjust to the players he has available. And it worked out great. I mean, Villanova, I think you're right. I don't think Villanova is the strongest competition the Ducks have seen or are going to see. But they they got it done. They found a way to make it happen, despite the fact that they were down all these players and they were running guys off the bench that, you know, had very little major college experience. Well, the thing that, you know, the thing that strikes me is that in terms of like healthy, available players, I, I think in terms of like guards, you know, guards who, uh-huh. who's, you know, I think it's down to Will Richardson, right? Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you balance a team around that. It's it, like, it, I, yeah. I mean, unless unless you've got, um, you know, a forward or something that can that's pretty good 
handling the ball, and I'm not sure Oregon does, but if you did, you could at least have somebody help out. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, Oregon ask, doesn't have a small forward. They're, they're right. All, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're all six eight or or whatever. Um, you know, if we're going to ask Richardson to to uh, you know bring the ball up every time during a game. And, and that's one of the things that happened in Villanova is these guys played tremendous minutes. I mean, the guys that were healthy uh, really had to stay on the floor uh, a lot. And Alton was good about bringing guys out and resting them and getting them an extra 30 seconds, you know, calling a timeout as they were ready to come in the game or whatever and giving them an extra minute or, or two minutes uh, of rest before putting them back in. But it's a real, it's going to be a real challenge. I mean, I'm, I know for a fact uh, that Altman's offense does not call for just one guard. So the question is going to be how, how are they going to adjust what they do with the ball uh, down to the fact that they've got, you know, one guy that's a, a starting quality guard at the moment. And hopefully we'll start seeing some of these other guys come back, but with these, you know, lower leg injuries uh, or knee injuries, you, you just never can tell. Well, the next two games that they have coming up are sort of early Pac-12 play. They have Wazoo and uh, UCLA, uh, Wazoo at home. Um, uh, basically, all the every game that they played has been in the state of Oregon through the Wazoo game. And then they finally leave the state and go down to Los Angeles to play UCLA on Sunday. Um, I believe you're covering both of these for the site. Um, what are you looking forward to with these games? Well, again, it's going to be... Uh, are we going to see something? Are we going to see the team prepare for a game uh, under the, the like current circumstances? The Villanova thing would have been like an immediate reaction because uh, both Biddle and Dante were, went out in the Michigan State game. So the next day, Oregon had to be ready to play with something. And they did what they did, which is use a lot of guys that normally don't see much of the floor. The question is going to be, are they going to be able to do anything different it's the fact that they don't have to play Washington State until Thursday. Is that going to give them a chance to to run through some things in practice that are different than what they tried to deploy against Villanova that, that might be as effective, hopefully more effective, as they get into these early, uh, early couple of Pac-12 games? And then after the Pac-12 games, they those two, they go back to playing out of conference. They have four not particularly strong opponents, Nevada, UC Riverside, Portland, Utah Valley, um, before they get back to, to conference play for the rest of the season. Um, it will be interesting, you know, as you say, I think the Wazoo game, you know, simply because Oregon should, you know, pretty well out talent Wazoo, you know, if they have access to their roster is sort of just like, you know how much of their roster is back that ucla game will be real interesting um you know there's a potential that ucla runs them off the floor on the other hand like i i you know i i, I don't know I, I wasn't real wild about uh mick cronin's uh you know i i thought he coached himself out of a few wins um for ucla and i feel yeah. like i i mean it might be the Oregon fan of me speaking here, but I just think that Dana Alton's a better coach. Um, I, I think he's the best coach yeah. in the conference, kind yeah. of by a large stretch. Um, 
and that you know Cronin should get some credit for not being Ben Howland or or any of the other guys who have just been running UCLA's basketball program into the floor. But like, you know, it, it, I think if you know Oregon's got a full roster, that Oregon UCLA ought to be you know a really good game where the edge goes to coaching you know at Altman. But like, yes. I don't know what Oregon's roster is going to be like, you know, and this one could really sting, you know, come the end of the year when it comes down to you know maybe you know only a game or two decide you know the, these two teams may wind up being tied and that this game you know even though it's super early in the season maybe you know one that's really relevant to conference standing and seating going into the Pac-12 tournament you know what I mean yeah which is too bad but it, that does happen where you happen yeah. to catch uh, it, it, it works in both ways you happen to catch a team that's a little down on its luck early in the season and that game ends up taking on outsized importance later on simply because of the other results that happen. But it's a long season, and my, my hope is that, you know, Oregon will get some of these players back. Uh, I You know, I don't uh, – Dante is in the concussion protocol, and that, mm-hmm. that can take a while to come back from. So it's – the question is going to be, can other players step into the role that he – he was playing prior to this last injury, which was, uh, you know, he was generating a really dominating inside presence for Oregon on frankly, both ends of the court as would be expected from him. So somebody's going to have to step into that role or uh, Oregon's going to have to be just to shoot him up and suddenly find their three pointing to three point touch and, um, you know, and it just outscore people. And that I, I'm not sure that's a, the way they want to do it. And I know Altman's a defense first guy, and I I don't think he wants to do that. He will, I assume, if he has to, but I, I'm sure he doesn't want to. All right, let's uh, take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll switch over to the women's side. Uh, well, it's a happier record for the women. They're five and one right now. Um, you know, they they cleaned up pretty handily against uh, you know their first five opponents. They're pretty out, uh, overmatched. Uh, and then uh, the PK eighty five on the women's side, um, they beat Michigan State most recently, um, and uh, uh, they hung tight with number eight North Carolina. You know, they they wound up losing that game by about six points, although it was real close at the end. Um, it, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a pretty encouraging game for the way that this team is coming together, given that, you know, the sort of exodus of all those like five stars, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, this is sort of a, a, a new team, almost a reset button, um, you know, season. And, you know, this was their first like real major test. They certainly didn't get run off the floor or anything. Um, you know, uh, the, they, it was sort of a, uh, <clears throat> the third quarter could have gone better, but uh, you know, other than that, uh, you know, uh, they were definitely in it the entire game. Um, and, uh, and definitely could have pulled out the win with a, maybe a little bit better shooting performance. Um, you know, I, um, I was really impressed with Jenna Asai, you know, coming off the bench, uh, for 15 points. Um, uh, I wanted to see more out of chance gray. That was, I think I was a little disappointed with her performance. Um, uh, I think maybe they get, but like, gosh, this team is young, you know, like, right. Yeah, you, you, you have to, there's going to be a certain amount of, of growth in two ways. One, you do have players uh, who are young in age, and then you also have the, the factor that they just haven't played together that much. And 
with each succeeding game, what you're hoping for is more and more chemistry develops till it gets to the point where everybody knows what everybody's doing. They know exactly how they like to receive the ball and where uh, and when, and they can use the knowledge of each other to help put the team in a position to win where if they were sort of still unfamiliar with each other, they might not be able to do that quite as effectively. So, yeah, but some some of the new players are really fun to watch. I mean, um, you know, you get, you've got, some girls who can really shoot the ball and uh and that's that's great and and drive the ball too i mean uh isay was fantastic working the ball inside uh for shots uh in, actually in both the games and i i was really impressed with uh you know the team effort despite despite the loss to north carolina i thought they acquitted themselves very well and me say as you mentioned easily could have won the game with a little bit better uh you know, third quarter and a little bit better uh, end of the game performance. And then, uh, you know, Grace Van Sluten uh, was just a, a rebounding machine in that yeah. game. That was the other thing. It was just like, that's a, you know, that, that's, that is the, that is the reason why, you know, one of the things that I keep observing about women's basketball is that like, there's this big cliff, you know, between the top, I don't know, 10, 15, wherever it is in any given year and everybody else. And it might as well be playing, you know, middle school teams. Um, And, and yeah, it's, it's having somebody who can pull down the boards and give you second shot opportunities and, you know, end possessions for the opponent. Um, And, and yeah, I was really impressed with Dan Sluton, real great handle on the ball, real great anticipation for the rebound. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. They say that rebounding is all about desire you know, to go mm. get the ball. And so that's obviously a great uh, trait to have on the team as somebody, at least one somebody, in some cases, a couple others as well, who understand that, you know, some of it is positioning, but it's also, I'm going to go get this and I'm going to go around you or over you or whatever I have to do to get it. And she shows some of those qualities, I thought, uh, during this tournament. The, uh, but I mean, the, the, the two things that I observe about this team that like, I definitely want to see improve are like the three point shooting has got to get better, like a lot better. Like right. they're, they're shooting about 50% from the floor, but like they're, you know, well under uh, uh 33% for their uh, three point shots. And I mean, yeah. th- that was the thing about that North Carolina game where I really felt like Oregon left a lot of points on the table was, yeah. you know, pow pow kept jacking up threes. And I think she only made like, two or three you know of them and i I know she attempted a bunch um and then there were were seven to 25 for the for that game and like a couple of them were bench player you know like uh, elise hurst and and Mm -hmm. and, uh ty hansen both came in shot a couple of threes and missed them both and i was like what do you you know yeah why are we running that play Yeah. yeah um yeah exactly and then like the free throw shooting you know they're sure i believe they're underwater for the season uh, you know on on free throw shooting which like you know i are in my mind there's no excuse for shooting less than 80 percent as a team in women's basketball uh from the stripe like and and they're well like they're i believe they're below 50 percent which just like well they were six for 14 against north carolina yeah in a game you know know, in which they they lost by six or whatever yeah they lost by six and they missed eight free throws you (laughs) know like you do the math like right i can figure that one out 
you know, it, that's really just, you know, I, I, I really don't like, look, I'm not a basketball player. I don't, but like I do play or, you know, at least I didn't receive a scholarship, but I play pickup basketball and like, sure. I, you know, it's been, it's been over eight months since I missed a free throw. Like, right. Uh, I, and then it's, I it's have, all, yeah, I don't know how much they're working on it in practice. It's, it's mental, is, man. Like yeah, it's a hundred percent mental and yeah. it's not like, you know, the lady's been playing, you know, in like raucous environments away from home, you know, like they, they played one game outside of the state of Oregon that was against Southern university in Baton Rouge. Um, and, and they hardly needed a free throw. They could have missed every single free throw and still won that right. game by 40 points, yeah. you know, like, um, <laughs> You know, I just don't get it, man. Like, make your free throws. Um, yeah. Do do what you whatever you need to do. I mean, we've had people in the past that, uh, you know, in the NBA and other places. I mean, that that chose to do them underhanded because they had an easier time of <laughs> making them that. Do what you need to do. It doesn't matter. Nobody carries. Not there are no style points involved. Even if it, you think you look ridiculous doing it, make your free throws. So uh, the upcoming schedule is. Uh, um, uh, three different non-conference opponents uh, uh, before they go down to the San Diego Invitational. They have Portland, Eastern Washington, Carl- College of Charleston. Um, University of Portland, of course, has a pretty good team. Um, and then they have, but sandwiched in between on the 11th is uh, Oregon State, their Pac-12, uh, you know, first game in the Pac-12 schedule. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the upcoming schedule? I think just uh, the team gelling and 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 working on the things that we've talked about and hopefully coming out with um, two things on the, just better three point shooting, but better in some cases better decision making on what play are we running when we have certain people in the game and and you do have players who are known to be or thought to be shooters who you're going to run plays for uh, to, to take advantage of an opportunity beyond the three-point arc. But you need to, to pick those spots, I think, just a little bit more carefully, and especially if you're running somebody in off the bench and then immediately running a play for them like that that's a to me that's a lower percentage opportunity for somebody who even somebody who's a good shooter than it is if you allow them a couple of minutes to sort of get into the game flow before you start calling their number so obviously i want to look for those that that the improvement in those two areas that we talked about and then also just the continued gelling of the team i think to to see how well they're working together all right let's take a break and we come back we'll talk some football All right. We put her off long enough. Um, <laughs> well, I got to go. Look at the time. <laughs> Boy, that room, I mean, really stings. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's like every different kind of gut punch, you know, happens in that game. You have special teams catastrophes. You have, you know, the offense goes totally cold. You've got, you know, the quarterback, uh, you know, suddenly has real accuracy problems. They can't. You know, they can't run the ball effectively. I thought there was like the play calling was real hot and cold. Um, and then on defense, you know, boy, you know, what a crazy, you know, they get three turnovers and, uh, 
And then, you know, basically Oregon State runs the ball the last 16 plays of the game and Oregon doesn't stop a single one of them. Um, Right. Like it's just, you know, and and like mostly it's a special teams catastrophe that just keeps setting Oregon State up with short fields. And and that's why they're able to with only 16 plays are able to score, uh, you know, 28 points. Um, Right. You know, because, uh, you know, they keep being, you know, very short fields, but still like you got to stop one of them. And like, it's not like you got to defend the pass. Like it became very clear, you know, that they weren't letting their quarterback throw passes, which like, you know, what an interesting coaching move by Jonathan Smith, you know, to like lean into his strength, you know, when yeah. he's down 21 points. Like that's a that's kind of a gutsy decision. Um, yeah. And never even run a like a surprise pass. You know, yeah, during exactly. that, that period of time where oh, they'll never expect this. He didn't do any of that. So like it's I mean, what's crazy, you know, I did my I, I did my review and I, I published my article this morning. It was really frustrating because the quality of the film that I had was just terrible. Like mm-hmm. the ESPN did not send out the good cameras uh, for this game. And then on top of that, you know, Reister Stadium is halfway built. So they, you know, all the you didn't really get replay angles. You didn't, uh, all of the camera shots are sort of from field level. And so they're at a really, it's like just hard to see what the play is. Like, especially if you're trying to evaluate the run game where you're trying right. to like pick out individual blocks, like it just looks like this undifferentiated mass of green and this undifferentiated mass of orange. And like, yeah. To the point where, like, you know, I I assign grades, you know, for all these players. There are several plays in which, because Oregon State had to swap at their center at one point and then swapped in back, um, and they had to shuffle some guys around. Like, I've got some blank entries on my tally sheet where I don't know who's playing for Oregon State. I, I just like I can't figure it out. Like, <laughs> has that the ever Oregon happened players, before? No. Yeah. I no, so. I, I'm. I, in the off season, I'm going to try to correct this and I'm definitely going to try to hunt down all 22 film. Although when that becomes available, it's usually like at least six months later when the general public gets a hold of that stuff. Um, Hmm. if they ever do at all. So this, you know, it might be a while. Um, but like, yeah, it's really embarrassing to, to not be able to fully fill out my tally sheet because the camera angles are so bad. And so ultimately I just decided like, I'm just going to, I'm not going to put these videos into my article. It's just not it's not helpful. And then the other thing that's great is that, you know, I, I do representative film study, right? right? You know, so every, right. So like, you know, if I put four clips in a video compilation, it's like each one of those needs to, you know, that needs to happen, be happening like 25% of the game or so like the elements of that play that I'm including needs mm-hmm. to be, you know, about 25% of the game. And the, the thing that's crazy about this game is that like, Okay, so for almost all of those clips, it would be three great plays for Oregon, you know, because that's that's what's represent like the 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 play for the first three quarters of the football game um, or most of the third quarter. It's it's uh, it's like it's great. It's great for, I mean, it's not perfect or anything, but no football performance is. And like, it goes exactly according to, you know, charting, you know, because I had 11 games worth of charting for both of these teams, sure. or 10, 10 FBS games anyway. And like, you know, I, 
I don't have an exact, you know, model worked out, um, but it's pretty easy to be like, okay, here's the statistical profile of these teams in terms of their efficiency and explosiveness and yardage at the different, you know, four different quadrants of football and you put them next to each other and then you sort of examine game conditions and it's like, okay, I expect this level of performance at this and this level of performance at that and that should produce a score like this and like it was going exactly how, you know, like I've been doing this for a while, you know, like the, the first three quarters of the game was like yeah that's exactly what you would expect and then i don't know what happens man like i I don't like i honestly don't and people have offered different speculation uh which like i you know i can't confirm by film study even if i had perfect film and i i don't even have perfect you know i have the the opposite of perfect film so like i just don't it's uh, you know, all we again, we should say way to go, Jonathan Smith, way to go, Beavs. You know, that's a situation where they have every reason to give up, right? They're down 21. Sure. You know, it looks like, you know, it looks like they're staring down the barrel of a cannon, like, and they don't, and they make some gutsy decisions and they take advantage of the mistakes that Oregon is making. And like that requires skill in order to execute. They don't lose their nerve. They didn't lose their patience. They, you know, they, they had to deal with other stuff too. Like their star running back missed some of this game. Like, you know, they had to deal with the psychological damage there of uh, constantly turning the ball over. Like, you know, all credit to Oregon state, but like, yeah, it's still a game that Oregon ought to have won on the numbers, you know, like just, uh, just like Oregon now gained them by like 150 yards or something like that. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's a game that, that Oregon should have, even with the mistakes that they were making, they should have made at least one fewer mistake than they would have won the game, although by a narrow margin. And if they were making just a normal number of mistakes, cause I mean, they're going to make some, but like not the crazy number of mistakes in this game, okay. you know, Oregon should have blown Oregon state out, you know, right. like let's, you know, if the trajectory for the first three quarters continued, this was something like a 28 point win. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't have good answers for why collapses like that happen. You know, like part of it is bad luck. You know, part of it is probably psychological factors that I don't have any, you know, insight into, uh, part of it is, I don't know, like, you know, ultimately comes down to Dan Lanning, you know, like it's his job to get the players to be able to play for four quarters and they weren't playing for four quarters. No. So yeah. And it, it was, uh, yeah, it's inexplicable. I'm not, you know, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't help to not have the ability to look at these plays carefully. For example, uh, Oregon has a first down on the Oregon state five late in the game where a touchdown puts them back ahead. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're going to win, but it, because Oregon state probably is going to get the ball back with some time remaining, but it will put them ahead and, and perhaps give them a, a psychological boost if such a thing is possible in a college football game. Um, but they run three plays, uh, running plays, and ultimately four running plays, uh, and get two yards. Well, it would be very, I think, valuable to have that the usual kind yeah. of video that you have available. I, I would to, love to be able to break to look down, at you that know, and say how did how in the world did you know two of these plays were jumbo package plays? How in the right. world did they fail the- to move the ball? You know, that was really confusing to me, too. Like, when I finally figured out that it was like, wait a minute, this isn't their normal jumbo package where their normal jumbo package is a weird thing to say <laughs> for Oregon, isn't it? Um, yeah. Like, you know, that wasn't that was like Connerly. It, it wasn't Connerly in three tight ends. Um, it was, you know, it, they were putting in uh, Laulu 
and um and uh and i think bram walden i'm not sure but it was like they were putting in like seven offensive linemen and they were having them and they were then they were you know playing like tackle over stuff where they were moving them before the snap and it's like man what are you why you know like the like you know you, you have great blocking tight ends you know what's the deal like i i didn't why change it up yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, in the Washington game, they didn't use it at all. And then in this game, they use like a, you know, a thing that they hadn't used before. And, you know, it's like, why, you know, th- that's sort of the thing that I sort of come back to, you know, for, for, for much, for basically Oregon's entire season, but definitely the stuff where they get in trouble. It's like, I feel like this is a pretty clever coaching staff. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that they do with the margins and a lot of stuff that they do in order to score right before the half, you know, is like really good clock management and really good, you know, like general management of marching down the field and denying the opponent possessions. And, and like, I'm really impressed in many ways with the cleverness of the staff. But then I also think that it's not, it, you know, that, their inexperience, you know, really shows, you know, like yeah. you've got, it's a first time head coach and you've got a bunch of guys who are like, yeah, they've been coaching in football before, but they, they're, you know, they haven't really been decision makers, you know, like the, the sort of brain trust there, um, <laughs> you know, th- is not, you know, the most experienced in the world. Um, and I, I think they get themselves into trouble in, in terms of like game planning stuff where, you know, they'll either outsmart themselves or just like, you know, all season long, I kept saying like, wow, Kenny Dillingham keeps adding stuff to the playbook, you know, every single week. And he did that all the way through week 13. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, you know, why don't, could, could you stick with the stuff, you know, like, <laughs> that you know, works, you know, like I understand like putting, you know, maybe like one new thing each game just to keep the opponent, you know, a little off balance, but like there's, there comes a point of diminishing returns, you know, to introducing new stuff to the playbook as opposed to practicing the stuff that, you know, you got going. And that's just like one example. Um, you know, of stuff where I'm just like, there's, you know, there's a wisdom factor that will probably come with time. The, the, the happy, you know, the, the, the reason why I think that's sort of a happy way of phrasing it, that it's a clever, but not wise staff is that I have never in my life seen anybody get cleverer with age, um, not in football or in anything else. Like that seems to be a native faculty where it's like, I, you're either a sly teenager or you're not. Uh, and, 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 you know, on the other hand, you can definitely get wise with age and with experience and like people get, people get risk averse, you know, the older they get, I think. And I, I suspect that that is true of, uh, college football coaches as well. I don't know if risk averse is the right way to put it. I, if anything, I actually think that that some of the play calling decisions that have happened over the this season that I disagreed with events that they weren't being risky, um, you know, friendly enough that they weren't taking. You know, it's Big it's more risks. like. Yeah, I, I think what, you know, wisdom constitutes is like knowing when to take your shot, you know, like knowing when to roll the dice um, and, and making percentage plays, not so much like do the risky thing or the not risky thing. It's just like this is the situation where you take the risk and this is the situation where you make the safe play. Um, and knowing the difference is wisdom and, and cleverness is like, you know, look you know, Oh, we're, it's time to do something interesting. Well, I'm going to make it real interesting because I'm real yeah. clever, you know, like, um, or using like, it's very clear that the staff uses analytics, the, 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 
the times and places that they go for it on fourth down, their um, touchdown versus field goal strategy, their clock management at the end of halves um, is like those guys, you know, they you know, that that's probably an area where not being, you know, football coaches for 50 years who have like sucked up the like, oh, this is just how we do things. You know, mentality has probably served them well because, you know, they, they are I'm not saying that they are following, you know, the analytics robotically or anything, but they are like you know, there has been an analytical revolution in terms of like what your EPA is. And there's a reason why Oregon, you know, like in, in raw stats, something like the number three offense in the country, but in terms of like the, you know, EPA and other, you know, advanced forms of measurements where it's like, you're trying to maximize play value, um, is, would be like the number one team in the country. And it's like, yeah, cause it's a really clever team that does, that's not like bound to, you know, so the, the sort of the old ways, you know, doing things, but that's sort of on a tactical level, not a strategic or, or game planning level, like a, a sort of like, when do you take the points versus, you know, when do you, or like, you know, how do you manage your overall season in terms of how big your playbook is? Like, these are all things where it's like, I want to see what year two under landing looks like. Um, I really want to see how he goes about hiring the new offensive coordinator. Yes. Um, I really want to see how we, you know, cause this defense is not up to snuff. Um, it's not, it's not a terrible defense. I actually think it has a lot of things going for it. It's just like, it doesn't finish games and it doesn't finish plays. Um, you know, like it'll have the ball carrier dead to rights and they won't bring the guy down or they'll have right. the quarterback in their sights and they won't sack him. Um, they're getting through, you know, like they have the physical, you know, prowess and they know what their assignments are. It's not like it's a poorly coached defense or anything, but it's just like, man, they got to seal the deal. And like, there's sort of a killer instinct, you know, aspect of it that's just missing. And like, I, you know, I, I, I I, I want to see year two, you know, I, I would love right. to get yeah. a, a message in the bottle from the future to know how year two went. Um, Cause like, this is definitely a fork in the road. Like this could be the ceiling for this team, you know, or this could just be, you know, the early sort of, you know, uh, you know, bumps in the road as a first year coach is getting his, his, uh, you know, his bearings. Like it really could go either way. And I don't know. <laughs> Well, and we won't know. Uh, there's no way to know whether or not Lanning is can grow into the role or if he just can't do it. So bringing in a good offensive coordinator, again, is going to tell you something. Who, who does he get? What kind of a person? I think somebody in the comments uh, the other day on the site said, um, and maybe it was you, is he just a guy that happened to have a friend who was good at this job? Or is he actually an evaluator of coaching talent? So it's going to be that the search will be very interesting to see who comes in and whether it's a, a more experienced coach in the kind of offense that Dan Lanning would like to run uh, or whether it's another younger, enthusiastic guy um, who, who may have a little bit of experience, but not a lot and is going to be the same sort of, um, you know, constant, if you will, risk taker that uh, Coach Dillingham turned out to be. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, that's going to be, you know, fascinating, you know, it's, you're right. It's entirely possible that he just, you know, 
he, he drew a high card with Dillingham uh, and that that doesn't actually represent good ability to to select, you know, good offensive, you know, coaching staff. Uh, and he just got lucky. Um, you know, we'll have to see. Um, and, and it's going to be years before we really know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the so I don't know, you know, we'll we'll find out, I guess the you know, the the thing, the other thing about, you know, what's going to be happening, you know, in the next couple of weeks is this is where the transfer portal and early signing day, you know, are starting right. to happen. And yep. the way that roster management works with the new tools and with the new rule change about the initial counters being eliminated is like with with where Oregon's at in terms of their scholarship numbers, um, which is now really the only limit for the guys that they have committed and the guys who have, you know, who are not going to the NFL early, um, they're going to be losing a lot of players to the transfer portal. And a lot of ducks are going to be looking at it like, Oh, the sky is falling, but I mean, it's just math, you know, and basically you were probably going to see a lot of players who didn't really get time, you know, this year. Uh And you were like, Oh, where they were developing, like there's no, uh, sorry, there's no room for developmental players. You know, they're taking new players. Um, And so a lot of guys are going to leave. And a lot of guys who are like, Oh, that guy had such a great play in that one game. Like, Oh man, he's leaving. Um, yeah, he's leaving. Um, like it's going to be, they're probably going to lose something in the order to like, you know, somewhere between 12 and 18 players, right. um, through the transfer portal over the next like two, three weeks. Um, cause this is when the window opens. Um, what are we at two so far? Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing is that there's, uh, two or three, I, I forget, but like, um, you know, the, the window opens on December 5th and early signing day, I believe is December 8th. And so like, you gotta, you gotta know what your numbers are, you know, for signing day. And and like, and the other thing is though, is that like the numbers don't have to match up, um, until 2023. So you could see them take a pretty big signing day class and then, um, and be way over 85 and then have dudes transfer out over the course of a couple of months. But I don't think you're going to see that. I think, um, or I think you're going to see some of that, but I also think you're going to see like a pretty big exodus by the fifth. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just numbers. Like, it doesn't mean like, Oh, the sky is falling on Dan Lane. Like these guys don't believe in Dan Lane or anything. It's just like, nah, that that's that they are, this is what happens with the new staff and you can't like, the, the way that modern roster management works is that like the new staff can't just to, like come in and kick everybody they don't want off the team. Um, right. You know, that's what Chip Kelly did when he showed up at UCLA sure. and they were a disaster for four years because of it. So, you know, he can't quite do that, but basically like, you know, the, the by one full cycles completion, it, like, you know, they're going to lose the players that need to go to the NFL. They're going to lose the players who just graduate and they're run out of eligibility. Um, uh, but then they're going to lose pretty much everybody that, that um, they didn't recruit or specifically bring in themselves. Um, right. And, and who did not prove themselves as being a super stud, you know, uh, this year, like basically if, if, Dan Lanning didn't bring you to Oregon and you didn't get a lot of playing time. If those two things are true of of you, even though you have all the talent in the world and even though, you know, deck fans may believe in you, you're probably going to hit the portal. Right. Um, 
And so, yeah, people ought to be aware of that, I guess, yeah. is the point of this rant. <laughs> so, some surprises, I guess, to the Duck fans are upcoming. Well, they're just, they're not going to have that many players go, try to go to the NFL. That's the thing, right. is that, yeah. like, um, you know, the the roster management tools where he had in Georgia is like, none of those guys are staying more than three years. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, simply sort of not the case with the the roster for a lot of guys, you know, at Oregon and like, and there's other positions where they're just going to want to try to keep everybody. So even though you might want to like push Cam McCormick down the line, cause that dude's getting like a doctorate at this point, you know, well, he's still got another year right. of eligibility and tight oh ends. You, you, you take as many tight ends as you can get. Right. <clears throat> um, but like the wide receiver room is probably going to see a bunch of guys, you know, leave, um, the, the, uh, the, the probably going to lose a cornerback or two, you know, uh, simply for playing time reasons, like, uh, probably going to lose a running back. In fact, I think that's already, a, did I see Byron Card- Cardwell? Cardwell? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just sort of, it, it's the nature of, uh, of the management. And, and the reason why I'm talking about that now, you know, during the, let's talk about Oregon state segment is that people are going to try to connect those two dots. Like, Oh my right. God, they had this total collapse, um, against Oregon state. And now there's this mass exodus, you know, uh, uh, uh but, uh, they're not connected. It's just roster management. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good and bad news, I guess. You know, you want to, you want people to stick around that can do good things for the, for the team. But on the other hand, if you're not getting any time and there's not anybody on this roster that thinks that they shouldn't be the guy, that's why they're where they are in life. And they're probably, they can be the guy, but it might have to be somewhere else. Uh, yeah. And then you just hope that they don't all wind up in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. It, it, it's uh, a little shorter than we usually do, but like, do, do you want to keep talking about <laughs> Not particularly. Um, all right. Uh, any parting words of wisdom for Slurms? You know, just uh, just looking forward to the new season now with basketball, and and uh, there's there's a lot to play for there still. So uh, let's let's get on the bandwagon. Hey, we didn't talk about it because uh, uh, it wasn't Badwater's turn for the podcast, but uh, the Oregon women's volleyball team is really kicking ass this year, and they're starting out the tournament um, with a couple of games in Eugene on Friday and Saturday, um, and uh, you know should be really good. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, actually should be some prime viewing. Uh, All right, everybody, take care.